and the good news of the gospel overshadows everything. So even if you're putting up with me, you'll, you'll be here. Kingdom Work for Christ is about really the Great Commission. Jesus, after he died, resurrected, before going to the Father, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he left his disciples, his followers, a beautiful set of instructions, and he said this. He said, one, know that all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Two, therefore, go make disciples of nations. Three, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Three, four, excuse me, teach them to obey my commandments. And this is Jesus speaking. And five, know that I'm with you always till the end of the age. So with the Great Commission in mind, Jesus has tasked us on a day-to-day basis under the leading of the Holy Spirit to go and carry out his Great Commission, be his vessel, be his. And so Kingdom Work for Christ is about the full-time job of inviting Jesus to overtake the day-to-day task. It's easy to go to church and be involved in organized ministry and follow what other people have been led by God to put together for us. But what happens when you leave church? What happens when you wake up in the morning? What happens between Monday and Sunday? It ought not just be one or two days a week. It ought to be a lifestyle. And Kingdom Work for Christ is all about getting engaged in the Great Commission as a lifestyle, where the day-to-day tasks suddenly become kingdom work. Some people have asked over the couple years that this has been going on, well, why, why is it called work? You know, is it works to please God? Is it works to get into heaven? Absolutely not. Kingdom work is singular. The work, according to Jesus in John 4, to my work is to do the will of the Father. Our work is to do the will of God. And so kingdom work starts with the leading of the Holy Spirit, which can only happen One, when we accept him as Lord and Savior. Two, when we say we are dedicated to visiting with him continuously through prayer, through reading the word, through intimacy with him. And as he guides us, we then see the carrying out of the Great Commission take form, not in our own agendas, but because he's using us as vessels in our day-to-day. And so on this show, what we've done is we've explored different environments. If you've been listening in and tuning in, You know that we've talked about a slew of things. We've talked about gossip. We've talked about sexuality. We've talked about um, politics. We've talked about diversity. We've talked about a slew of things. And most recently, we had the incredible blessing of having an interview with Kathy Hoffman where she specifically talked about what it means to be a praying parent, her testimony of how she's been able to see her son through the past couple of months where he was literally on life support to go from being told you have zero chance of seeing him make it through to the New Year's even, to literally witnessing a miracle and being able to be the last one standing who said, I am not giving up on the fact that God is going to heal my son. That testimony was really powerful a couple weeks ago. And so if you missed it, you can go back, go to kingdomworkchrist.com under events. You will see the past shows. And so that's what we've been doing. And on the show, it's been so neat for me as a host to see how the Lord is so active today. You know, I hear a lot of times about people who've just given up on the gospel. And I speak directly to people who've given up on the gospel. And one of the major threads tends to be the hurt, the hypocrisy of the church, the incongruence of the gospel, the way it has been presented to them. They haven't really had exposure to really who Jesus is or to what Jesus actually says. And so here, our very sincere prayer is that this will be a lifestyle that is led by the Holy Spirit, not by our agendas, not by our desires to please God, not by our desires to be known as super Christians, not by our desires to even be known, period, but by our desire to know Jesus, first and foremost, as the authority over everything, including our day-to-day, is byproduct of that, then to go and make disciples of nations under the leading of his Holy Spirit. So that's what we're doing. That's what you're in for. (laughs) So welcome. So what we're going to do today, each week, we have a different format. And so one week, it will be specifically looking at 
what the word says, taking a look at biblical passages, reading from the word, praying. And really that is a teaching week. And then the next week or next weeks, depending on the interview or interviews, we will have people who actually are in that environment talk about what it means today. And so today we're going to be very specifically focusing on blind spots. What, what does it mean to blindly trust? Let me be clear. For those of you tuning in, you may be thinking, oh, here we go. It's going to be one of those Christian shows where everything, the answer is going to be just trust in God. And while there's profound, profound truth in that, I think we do a disservice when, as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't take the time or the effort to actually dig into the word of God and and explain to people why just trust in God is an actual wise, well-thought-out answer to a lot of problems. In many respects, and I guess of that, it's pure laziness on the parts of believers in Christ when we are asked about difficult situations and we say, oh, just blindly trust in God, just blindly trust. So I want to be clear that this journey with Jesus is a journey that is very ordered. This journey with Jesus is a journey that's very calculated. Our Lord of Lords is extremely is extremely detail-oriented in how he does things, in why he does things. And there's a lot of logic and reason to leading a life that is gospel-centered. And not logic and reason according to you know, whatever it is um, our, our backgrounds are when it comes to logic and reasoning necessarily, but very specifically, there's order. And if we take the time not to be lazy about it and see the, the way in which God works, we will find an incredible, um, an incredible array of, of tied, quote unquote, loose ends that really all make sense together, that are really a brilliant plan altogether. When I think about the majesty of God, I think about the, the way in which there are so many moving parts, right? So I'm an individual, and I have choice. And with my choice, I can make the wrong choice or the, or, the, or the right choice at any given time, right? And yet God is able to navigate not only my set of choices that I make and my consequences as a result of those choices, but also someone else's choices and their consequences. And in the setting of a family, he can navigate all of us together at the same time in such a way that we don't self-destruct. I think that's amazingly brilliant. I don't know how he does it, right? But there is, there's a lot of order in the way in which he guides our steps. Ten years ago, if you had told me that I would be doing an online radio show on a Wednesday night talking about Jesus Christ and the gospel, I would have laughed in your face. It made no sense. There was no logic to that. Today, when I look back and I see the way in which God positioned me in different positions, whether it's different situations, allowed for certain situations to happen, once I actually sit down and, and take the time to observe and examine, it's amazing how the Lord all along has been detail-oriented and calculated in how he's led my life. And so with that in mind, today we're going to be talking about these blind spots. If you're listening in and you're thinking, you know, here's an area of my life where I have no idea what I'm doing. Here's an area of my life where I just got blindsided. Man, I thought I had, I, I thought I had this, this, this routine, you know, things were going smoothly or things were going poorly, but I had finally settled that they would just keep going poorly my whole life, whatever it is your situation is. And all of a sudden you just get blindsided by something and you're like, are you serious right now? How did I not? How did I not see this coming? So today we're going to be talking about blind spots and what they mean when you are following Jesus, when you are going before the throne, when you are petitioning before the Father. And no matter how much you petition, it just seems like there is no advancing in that. Or it just seems like you keep getting blindsided by the same exact situation. Or someone you love keeps getting blindsided by the same exact situation. So to address this topic today, we're going to be looking at two different people. We're going to start out with Saul and his transformation to Paul. And then we're going to, we're going to continue on with a blind man who was by the pool of Siloam. And both of these men have such 
incredible, uh, not only testimonies that we can take from, but also have implications for how we navigate the blind spots in our lives. Let's go to Acts 9, verses 1 through 19. Starting with Saul. So it says, Saul still breathing threats and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him, from the high priest, to the synagogues of Damascus. He found any, so anybody who was following Jesus, basically, whether men or women, didn't matter, he, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay, so here we have Paul. He's going to the high priest at the time, Caiaphas. He's going and he's asking him for letters so that he can go to the synagogues of Damascus and under the unction, under the blessing of the high priest of the entire city of Damascus, well, basically Jerusalem at the time, under the, the blessing of the high priest that he could now go and take and bind up, arrest the people who were following Jesus, who believed in Jesus. Verse three, as he traveled, he got close to Damascus, and suddenly a light from the sky shone around him. He fell on the earth. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And so Saul said, he said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise up. Enter into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes opened, he saw no one. They led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was without sight for three days, neither ate nor drank. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And so the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, behold, it's me, Lord. Lord said to him, arise and go to the street, which is called straight. Inquire in the house of Judah for one named Saul, a man of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him that he might receive his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many from many about this man, how much evil he did to the saints, your saints at Jerusalem. Here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go your way, for he is my chosen vessel to bear my name before the nations and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias departed and entered into the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he received his sight. He arose, and he was baptized. He took food and was strengthened. Saul stayed several days with the disciples who were at Damascus. It's the word of the Lord. So here we have a man by the name of Saul. He's a Pharisee for all intents and purposes. He's a, a, a man who knows enough and has access to the high priest. So why would he have had access to the high priest? We're going to talk about this in a second. This is a man who is determined to go and stop people who are of the way. Who are these people of the way? We'll talk about that in a second. But all in all, Saul is essentially on a mission. And in the midst of being on a mission, in the midst of knowing or thinking that he knew it all, Right, because you don't go and, and and arrest a bunch of people unless you know that you know that you know that they should be arrested. Right, at least something in you is telling you that you know that you know that you know. Okay, so here we have a man who's determined. I mean, he's got it figured out. Right, 
And he's on a mission, and so he's going, and he gets stopped. He's on a mission of his own, and he gets stopped. And amazingly so, as he gets stopped, he recognizes that whoever it is that just stopped him has a lot more authority than he does. Verse 5, he said, who are you, Lord? He recognized that there was something much more powerful at hand here. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But you rise up. You enter into the city, and you will be told what to do. Pause. This is a man who, for all intents and purposes, has been telling people what to do. So much so, he had so much control over the high priest that he just went in and asked for letters so he can arrest a bunch of people. High priest said, fine, no problem. That's how much influence this man had. That's how much zeal he had. And yet in this moment, Jesus' Jesus's lordship overtakes this moment. Everything that he knows, everything he sees is trumped up at this time by the lordship of Jesus. Look, here's the deal. The Great Commission starts with, know that all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. And so that authority is authority that gives us the power to be able to go forth and make disciples of nations. If we do not understand that authority, if we don't have the intimacy with God, if we are not led by the Holy Spirit, everything else about the Great Commission, which is perfectly ordered, falls apart. In this moment, Paul, who's not yet Paul, Saul, has lost sight of the real authority of God. He has lost sight of the fact that Jesus is the true authority. And he had lost sight so much that he thought his authority to carry out the will of God was more powerful than anything else. And so the Lord took away his sight. He took away the very thing that he relied on to be able to carry out everything. What do I mean by that? Let's take a look at what the Pharisees, the type of training that the Pharisees got. So there is the, the practices of the Pharisees. The cool thing about Paul, it's just amazing how the Lord is so calculated. So Paul was both a Roman citizen and he was also a Jew, Jewish citizen. So he had dual citizenship in his Jewish citizenship. He also was not just a Pharisee, but he was being trained to be a potential high priest, right? So he was going to be the next high priest. So you ask, how did he have access like that to the high priest? Well, he had access to that high priest because he was being trained under the high priest at the time. So you can find this on BibleHistory.com. I'm going to give us some background here because it says the practices of the Pharisees. So unlike the Sadducees who were chosen among almost exclusively from aristocracy, the Pharisees were members of the middle class, okay? So they were like businessmen, merchants, tradesmen um, for the day. So that's about the large amount of references that are dealing with, um, with, with Pharisees. A lot of them were of the middle class. They were deeply concerned with following after the law. And so what they did is they separated themselves from the great mass of people, okay? And, and they adhered to the law. Very legalistic, very thorough. The average Pharisee, though he had no formal education, what he did is that he resorted to the professional scholar, the scribe, of which class the majority were Pharisees. Okay, so their practice was in the law and legal matters. And the majority of the Pharisees were laymen. But, and this is the critical thing about Paul, formerly known as Saul. So Paul was of, of what I'm about to say. A small number of the Pharisees were also priests and Levites, and they had committed to the Pharisaic ideals so that they could help make pure more of the common people. So you're dealing with someone who not only has, has separated himself so that he could follow the law of Moses, but you're also dealing with someone who has dedicated his life to helping to make other people more pure, the more common, the common people more pure, okay? Apparently, several of these holy communities, and so these were communities where Pharisees hung out with one another, existed within Jerusalem, where they could be seen by the masses and thus make their influence, their influence, excuse me, more effective, right? So in order to be admitted into these communities, you, you had to follow a strict set of regulations, so a candidate, one, had to agree to vow 
and obey all of the detailed legislations of the Pharisaic traditions. So things like tithing, ceremonial laws, dietary purity, all these have to be adhered to. And then they also went into a probation period. Okay, so they had like one month to a year in which they carefully observed and respected all of these tenants. And if they did, and they successfully did that, then they were entitled to the candidacy of being a full member of the community. Each of the communities were under the leadership of a scribe. So the scribe would have known the law to the letter. Okay, this was a person who served as a professional authority in the interpretation of the law and um, other less important officers, okay? So basically they had authority over other people, other officers, and they had interpretation of the law. So all of the members of the community of Pharisees were carefully scrutinized, right? So it was a lot about what you could see. It was a lot about what you were able to do that proved to people that people could see so that it proved to them that you were worthy of a membership in that community. The members were carefully scrutinized, they were criticized when they fell short, and they were highly praised when they observed the law accurately. There were regularly scheduled meetings for worship, usually on the eve of Shabbat, and they studied the Torah and had community meals together. So most likely, the, the, what's called the pseudepigraphon, which is the Psalms of Solomon, that was usually used liturgically in their worship services. Okay, so the, the the synagogue, which is where the Pharisees would usually show their pieties, the the synagogue was a place of large influence, and a lot of the Pharisaic practices really stood out in the midst of synagogues. So many of them were inclined toward the views of the Pharisees without taking upon themselves full membership in the community, even though they weren't Pharisees, because they had powerful influence in the synagogues, places of worship where people would come who, who obeyed um, Judaic traditions. And so this, is, this gives you a little bit of an, of an idea of where Paul is coming from, formerly Saul, is that he came from a place where what you did, what was seen was important. And what was seen determined whether or not you were in or you were out. And from everything that Paul, formerly Saul, had seen, he, had, he was seeing that people of the way were not trying to be showy about their fasting and their praying. They were not trying to adhere to the principles of, of, of um, class and showmanship. They were tending to the women and the orphans. They were following this this so-called king. The Pharisees expected King Jesus to come in glory, to come in, in, in this pomp and circumstance, and that is not what he did. And so when that did not follow the script of what they expected, what they could see, they decided that he needed to die. When Saul did not see what he expected to see in the people who were following Jesus, he decided they needed to die. Here's where the Lord Jesus in all his brilliance comes in. Saul, for all intents and purposes, had everything he possibly needed to be the best person to spread the gospel, even though he was worse, if you think about it, than even Hitler. Here's what I mean by that. People of the way were people who followed Jesus, believed in Jesus. And for the most part, none of them had dual citizenship where they were both Roman and Jews. None of them had the level of education that Saul did where they were training under the high priest. None of them had the kind of influence that Saul did. Otherwise, if they did, Jesus would have probably been spared, or would he have? We don't know. That's not really something that is addressed. But Saul, on the other hand, had both the citizenship of a Roman and a Jew. Okay, So this is one, one good thing he had going for him. He also had status. He had both the Pharisaic status right, where he, was, where he was higher up vocationally as a high priest. He had stamina and he had zeal. I mean, this man was respected and he was also feared by the people who were following the law. And he was known to keep people who strayed from the law in check. 
That was his thing. I mean, he wanted people to be more pure, the common people to be more pure. This man took pride in the work that he was doing. He had no shame. As a matter of fact, he so had no shame that he went straight to the high priest and said, I need access. I need letters that allow me to arrest people because this is ridiculous. These people are the way got to go. Okay, so he took a lot of pride in what he did. Now, here's the thing. God stopped him in his track on the way to Damascus. He sees Jesus, right, on the way to Damascus. He is transformed. He's, his sight is completely removed. So the very thing that he has used to criticize, to scrutinize people, to decide whether or not people fit his agenda is the thing that is taken away from him right there in a split second when he encounters Jesus. How amazing is that? Jesus changes his heart in the midst of blindness. After he encounters Jesus, Jesus doesn't just immediately restore his sight. Oh, no, no, no. Jesus does something incredibly brilliant. He allows him to dwell in this physical blindness. He allows him, who was the one to, to, to essentially make the agenda for everybody else, to lead everyone else, to be so blind that his men who came along with him had to help him to get to the next place. A man who didn't need anyone else's opinion or anyone else's help with anything all of a sudden needs everyone else's help in order to just take one step because this man is blind. That was the first amazingly brilliant thing that the Lord does. The second thing he does is he completely removes, <laughs> completely removes his hatred towards the people of the way. And as a matter of fact, makes it such that the people who will show him the way to him is the very same person of the way he was trying to destroy. So here's this man, Ananias, and here's the thing, the contrast that we can see in Ananias being spiritually aware and spiritually guided by the Holy Spirit under submission to the Lord's authority, as in Matthew 28, 18. And under that authority, he, in his intimacy with the Lord, hears this prayer. And I am amazed at how obedient he was. He still put up a fight, but I'm amazed by how obedient Ananias was. Let's read that again. He says, um, let's go to, there we go, verse 10. Okay, so this is still Acts 9, verse 10. It says, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, behold, it's me, Lord. The Lord said to him, arise and go to the street, which is called Straight. Inquire in the house of Judah for one named Saul, a man of Tarsus, for behold, he's praying in a vision. He's seen a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him and he might receive his sight. Hold up. So, Lord, let me let me get this straight. Um, so, OK, you have already told this man who kills people like me that a man like me <laughs> is going to go and. Lay hands on him and in your name restore his sight. I just I just want to get I want to get straight. Okay, so here's this incredible moment in which Ananias goes, Lord, I've heard many things. Don't you know this guy kills people like me? Okay, so he's freaking out for all intents and purposes. And the Lord says, Go your way. He's my chosen vessel to bear my name before the nations and kings and the children of Israel. I will show him many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias could have, for all intents and purposes, said, no, Lord, I can't do that. I, I cannot do that. And, Lord, am I actually hearing from you? Because in moments of blindness, in moments where there seems to be blind spots, it's very easy to question whether or not we are actually hearing from a Lord of Lords. But this man, Ananias, was amazing. So Ananias said, okay. He goes. He does exactly what the Lord tells him. And Saul, who had all his sight and his human sight, had done so much harm because with having sight, he didn't have any spiritual sight whatsoever. This same man now is restored by a man he thought didn't have any spiritual sight. Isn't God good? <laughs> He's so amazing. Jesus took away spiritual, Jesus took away his, his, um, physical blindness 
and he took away his physical lack of understanding through a brother in Christ who said yes. Who said yes in that moment. Who said yes to under the authority of Jesus Christ to go and put himself in harm's way potentially so that one more soul could be one for the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, can your blind spots be turned into something that can bring others to the kingdom? Can your blind spots be turned into something that illuminates the, illuminates the way in which your spiritual depth will grow? Can your blind spots become something where trust will be so established that you will be able to be transparently a vessel for God? You see, blind trust doesn't have to be about illogical, lazy faith. Blind trust can be operating within order, within logic, within reason, but absolutely within faith. The blindness that the Lord allows, especially after we've encountered Jesus, if we remain in him, will always turn out for our good. Always. And ultimately, our good is more, get to know the Lord better, or for the first time. That's our good. Everything else is a byproduct. We get a second example of a man by a pool. And it's, it's amazing because in contrast to Paul, here is Paul, the one who could see and thought he knew how to operate in all things. And Jesus put the brakes and took everything that was accessible to him physically so that he could learn how to navigate spiritually first and then physically as a vessel of the Lord Most High. And now we get a contrast. So here we go. In John 9, 1 through 6, it starts with this. It says, As he passed by, and this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither did this man sin nor his parents, but that the works of God might be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva, anointed the blind man's eyes with the mud, and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went away, washed, and came back seeing The neighbors, therefore, and those who saw that he was blind before said, isn't he, isn't this he who sat and begged? Others were saying, isn't it he? Still others were saying, he looks like him. He said, I am he. They therefore were asking him, how are your eyes opened? He answered, a man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes and said, to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went away and washed, and, and I received sight. Then they asked him, well, where is he? And he said, I don't know. They brought him who had been blind to the Pharisees, and it was a, a Sabbath when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So again, therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud in my eyes. I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others said, well, how, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. I just love this story for so many reasons. I love this story because it is a story of Jesus breaking down misconceptions that when something bad happens, It's always because someone bad did something or thought something or 
I mean, Jesus really in this moment addresses the disciples question and, and a legitimate question after all. It's actually slightly reminiscent of a question that Job's friends asked, but they didn't really ask, unfortunately. They just told Job, you must have done something wrong. That's why you're experiencing all these horrible things. One through 36, just literally just, they look at him and they're like, man, you are just messed up. Why don't you just confess and repent? Right? And so with that in mind, the disciples had sort of that same mindset. So they're coming at Jesus and they're like, Jesus, what is, okay, obviously somebody sinned. Was it him? Was it his parents? And Jesus said, don't you understand? There's some things that are, there's blindness. There are blind spots that are there for the purpose of God's work and will being done. Now, this is the part where blind trust comes in. Because sometimes it's very easy to say, you know what? If, if that's a God who allows these types of things, then he's not a God I want to serve. And you know what, by all stretches of the imagination, if that's something that you believe in this moment right now, I, I am praying for you and I am begging you to be still in letting that thought go any further. To recount the moments in which God has blessed you and to remember those times as you come before the throne asking God to fix this situation with your blind spot. I beg of you, because our God doesn't allow things to hurt us. He doesn't allow things because he just has a puppeteer, maniacal puppeteer mindset where he wants just people to, you know, suffer and, and all that. That's just not how he operates. But there are some situations that are incomprehensible that happen. And yet, if we will allow our souls to be still in letting that thought stay right there, <laughs> and no further, and then praying that that thought goes away, we will see incredible fruit out of that. Jesus proceeds to heal this man. But why did the man, similar question to, to, to Saul, okay, so why did after Saul, so Jesus, he encounters Jesus, why doesn't Jesus just give him his sight immediately? Same thing here. He encountered Jesus, why didn't Jesus just... Heal him right there. Why did he have to go all the way to the pool of Siloam? Why did he have to have mud on his face? I mean, come on, Jesus. Isn't that kind of like doing the most? <laughs> so it's a good question. Yeah. But here's the thing, and here's the passage that we can really learn from. It says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said this, he spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva, painted the blind man's eyes with the mud, and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Here's the deal. If he is the one doing the work, and he is the one who is the light of the world, if he had healed the blind man's eye right there and then, the blind man would have thought that it was whatever Jesus did, whether it was the mud or the 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 you know, circumstance or it, that it happened so fast, right? The laying of hands, he would have just equated his healing to that one moment of healing the physical condition. In that moment, Jesus needed the blind man to understand that it wasn't about the healing of the physical, but it was about the healing of his heart, his heart that had been so accustomed to being stuck in a place because he was blind from birth. From birth, this man had had no advancement in a situation in his life where he was begging. He had had, literally, it says he was begging forever. If you look further down, when people were amazed, they said, isn't that the man who's been begging all this time? Right? And, and isn't, that, isn't that him? He who sat and begged in verse 8. And it says that the man was, was blind from birth. And so here's a man who had completely lost his, his blindness, his physical blindness. And all of a sudden he encounters Jesus and Jesus is asking him to first, before he gets restored in his physical um, blindness, he is asking him to get unstuck mentally, physically, spiritually 
first. And there is, I can't think of a better way to get unstuck than to have a bunch of mud on your eyes made out of a, a man's spit, by the way. Okay. And you're still blind. And now you have to carry yourself by yourself all the way into a pool to go and get healing. Are you kidding me? Right. Talk about a great way to, to, to get past being stuck in a situation that takes an incredible amount of faith. That takes an incredible amount of, of, of initiative that this man had not had for a really long time as he sat in the same place begging. He sat so much in that same place that people recognized him. This was a way of life for him. And just like Paul, when Jesus entered, he took Saul's life and he changed his way of life. Saul had a way of life in which he thought he had it all. He thought he knew it all. He thought he had the zeal for all. He thought that his, his job was to go and bulldozer over people who didn't follow his agenda. And the Lord took his agenda and bulldozered over it. And in the midst of that, transformed Paul into someone who could be used for the sake of the kingdom. This man here at the pool of Siloam was so stuck. Here you have a man who was just completely blind. I mean, literally stuck. Lost hope. No reason not to beg. And all of a sudden, Jesus, he encounters Jesus and he gets transformed. And his life gets transformed into somebody who can go get up on his own with mud on his eyes, even though he's blind, still believing, still trusting that the Lord has a plan for him. That is the revival that Jesus wants to do in your blind spots today. That's the revival that the Lord God is looking to do in the, in the lives of those who will lay down their spiritual blindness, lay down their physical blindness so that it can be revived in his spirit for the sake of his kingdom. A couple years ago on a Saturday morning, um, I really had a song that just ministered to my soul. And as I was writing this song, it was very specifically about this passage. And it's called Wash Me in the Pool of Siloam. There's something really profound about this story that I'm praying over everyone who listens to this show. I'm praying that the Lord God will be cleansing us from the inside out in the places where we're blind so that we can be sent by him. We can be used by him, that he can minister to us through and through. So I'll, I'll sing a little bit of it. And um, as, as I'm singing through, I just, if you would close your eyes with me and, and pray and ask the Lord to really illuminate those places in your life that are blind spots right now so that his work can be done in and through you. Cleanse me, Lord, for I am blind. And I can't see the way you'll send me. Show your path and make it bright. For the way I'll go, you'll send me. Cause the blind man saw, so all could see you. His eyes with mud, he was washed by your pool. Wash me. Wash me, wash me in the pool of Siloam. Wash me, wash me, wash me in the pool of Siloam. Send me, Lord, for I am blind, and I can't see the way you'll send me, Lord. 
Make your path oh so bright. Show me, Lord, the way you'll send me. For that blind man saw, so I could see you. His eyes with mud, he was washed by your pool. Wash me, wash me, oh Lord, wash me in the pool of Wash me, wash me, wash me in the pool of silhouette. So I'll be sent by you, may I be used by you. May I defend you through and through, Lord. May I be sent by you. May I be used by you. May I defend you through and through. So wash me. Lord, wash us. Lord, wash us in the pool of silhouette. God, we just pray that as we journey through this life with you, Lord, that you will cleanse us from the places where we are blind. Father, we are praying that your Holy Spirit will lead us to be sent for the sake of your name. No matter where we are in the environments in which you have us placed right now, Lord, we are praying that we will be your hands, your feet, your vessels, Lord, so your kingdom work may be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father God, thank you for the pools of Siloam, Lord, the places that you have established that help us to get the healing. Thank you, Lord, for the processes you've placed in our path to help us so that when we turn towards you and seek intimacy with you, we will realize that everything was already there. It was already being built, God. Thank you, Lord, because you're faithful even when we are faithless. Thank you, Jesus, because you're full of light even when darkness surrounds us. And so, Lord God, I just pray. I pray for transformation. I pray for revival in your body, Lord. I pray for more to come to know you for the first time or deeper. Lord, just I pray that people who are in, in, in just yearning for you, Lord, that they will be imbued by you so that we can together go out and make disciples of nations under the leading of your Holy Spirit. We lo- just love you and adore you, King. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I want to make a couple of final points as we are going through. We're nearing the end. The pool of Siloam, the man by the pool of Siloam already had what he needed right in front of him. He'd been sitting on the dirt, the very same dirt that was needed to heal him. He'd been sitting by the pool, the very same pool that was needed to heal him. He'd been in a position of asking for help, and so he was ready to receive the help. He'd been in a position of expressing what his situation was, because when you're begging, you have to continuously express what what the deal is, what you're asking for. And so he was in a situation where he could express what his situation was once he was healed. The very man who became, who was a beggar, ended up being the very man who became the one to offer help, the lifelong type of help that rescues for eternity. In the same way, the very same person who had the citizenship of a Roman and a Jew all of a sudden could navigate places he couldn't have without both citizenships. The very same person who was on a vocational track that helped him understand theory, theology in such a way that he was destructive, all of a sudden was turned to help him understand theology and reason 
that reconciled the law of Moses along with what Jesus came to complement. It helped him realize how intricately Jesus came not to replace but to complete the law. The stamina and the zeal spread his own gospel, turned into a stamina and zeal that helped him to spread the gospel and the good news of Jesus, that helped him reinforce the disciples, even those who didn't like him. Because in many respects, Paul didn't shy away from being a leader because Saul was a leader. That's never something he had been shy about. So when Jesus got a hold of his heart, it just it, the 180 in his heart all of a sudden redirected everything that was already at his disposal so that it could be used for the gospel. Saul took great pride in his work. He used to boast in knowing the law of Moses, and now his pride in his work was redirected to pride and boasting only in Jesus. In Galatians 6, 4, he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Where is your citizenship, your vocational track, your stamina, your zeal, the pride of your work? Are you aware of how the Lord is currently using your blind spots in your life so that you can spread the good news of the gospel? that you can execute the will of the Lord here on earth as it is in heaven. Where is your, your steadfastness, your ability to express the situation as it is, your faith, your trust, where is that? Are you aware of how the Lord is executing and working out all these things for your good? Even in the midst of your blind spots, will you trust God? He has a plan. And the 180 he's performing in your heart will be a 180 that bears fruit for the sake of his kingdom. I want to pray for us. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior and you would like to, it's not, it's not pomp and circumstance. It's about inviting Jesus into your heart. If you want to know more about Jesus, please email us, contact at kingdomworkforchrist.com. Let's talk about the gospel. If you're looking for, for resources while you're looking for a church home, please email us. Happy to send you some, some recommendations. We're not affiliated with anyone in particular, so we'll give you recommendations based on our personal experience. But know this, God is pursuing you. He loves you. He made you. If you don't believe in him and you've been hurt by people who've represented, said they've represented Christ before, I'm so sorry. But know that that wasn't Jesus, and Jesus loves you, and he wants you to dwell with him for eternity. Will you accept that invitation today? Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for being the only God in any religion in the world, Lord, who cares about us so much that you came, experienced humanity, redeemed humanity, and gave us the choice of having the perfect way to an eternity with you. Lord, I just pray that in this moment, if there are people who are listening in who don't believe in you, that they will turn their hearts and say, Jesus, please come in. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to go. But I want to invite you to overtake my life. Lead me to the path that leads to eternity. Lord God, I just pray that people will be in their way who will help journey with them, Lord. And Father God, I thank you and praise you for the ability to pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ we're listening in, Lord. I just pray that we will have a deepened relationship with you. I pray that we will not be stuck by the pulls of Siloam. I pray that we're not be stuck in our own ways, our own agendas, executing what we think we, we need to do in your name, God, but that we will be led by the Holy Spirit, that we will first understand your authority, God, and under that operate in such a way that we can go make disciples, nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them to obey your commandments, God, and then know that in all this, you're never going to leave us. And so, God, thank you for this time. We adore you, King. May you be exalted on high. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to the Kingdom Work for Christ online radio show. It's a pleasure and a joy to serve you in this capacity. Next time, tune in. We're going to have a Rohini Hughes for an incredible interview on blind trust, and you will definitely be blessed. Bye-bye.